What's up, this your boy Lil Duval, and check out my podcast, Conversations with Unc, on the Black Effect Podcast Network. Each and every Tuesday, Conversations with Unc podcast feature casuals and in-depth talk about ebbs and flows of life and the pursuit of happiness. Unlike my work on stage, I tap into a more serious and sensitive side to give life advice and simply offer words of encouragement, yet remind folks to never forget to laugh. Every Tuesday, listen to Conversations with Unc, hosted by Lil Duval on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. Presented by AT&T. Connecting changes everything. Open a limited-time 11-month certificate at Kemba Financial Credit Union. At 5.25% APY, it's more than triple the national average, plus it's a safe and secure way to grow your money. Visit your local branch or kemba.org slash cb for details. Offer expires May 31st, 2024. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. $500 minimum and $250,000 maximum deposit. Advantage status required. Comparison based on bank rate average. Federally insured by NCUA. Are you still searching for your perfect place to call home? Well, now is the time to buy at Fisher Homes. If you're looking to move in before the end of 2024, May could be your last opportunity to start building your dream home and close before the year's end. If you're hoping to move in even sooner, Fisher Homes also has homes that are move-in ready and waiting for you, where you can start enjoying the benefits of homeownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with a new home advisor today at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home. This episode is brought to you by Navy Federal Credit Union. At Navy Federal, it's been the mission to help the military community for over 90 years. And not just help them, but do everything to make sure they not only grow, but flourish. That's why Navy Federal Credit Union has all kinds of great savings and investment options like share certificates with sky-high rates. So don't hesitate. Start growing your finances today with a variety of savings and investment options. Navy Federal Credit Union. Our members are the mission. Savings products insured by NCUA. Investment products are not insured. Not obligations of Navy Federal and may lose value. Hey guys, back at the playground again, huh? Yep. You know what this playground could use? A wine country. Heck yeah! And some waves, so we could go surfing. Oh, <laughs> ah, love that! A redwood forest would be cool. I'm in! Ah, ski slopes. Let's do it! Um, tenor girl go shopping. Yeah, baby! Wait! Did we just invent California? Discover why California is the ultimate playground at visitcalifornia.com. Brought to you by Toyota. Let's go places. Welcome to Forward Thinking. Hey there, and welcome to Forward Thinking, the podcast that looks at the future and says, she blinded me with science. I'm Jonathan Strickland. I'm Lauren Folkelbaum. I'm Joe McCormick. You know... Feel you've already done that one. It's okay. I'll do it again because you know what we're doing. We're science, lo- we're, and we're looking back on science. On science, it is the end of 2013. We wanted to look back at some of the big stories of 2013 that kind of relate to stuff we've talked about all throughout the year on Forward Thinking. Yeah, because it's been an awesome year for for science and technological development. Amazing yeah. year. If you look at just a, a small list of the stuff that happened in 2013, you'll realize that this podcast, if we were to try and cover all of them, would last approximately 17 hours. So we have decided that we're going to just pick some that leapt out at us. These are not necessarily the most important or most world-changing stories. Uh, it's not a comprehensive list by any means, but this is the... We, we each took a section of the year and kind of looked at some of the big stories that happened during that part of the year and sen- singled out some stuff that we really wanted to talk about. 
and just kind of give a, an overview of some of the amazing things that have happened so far in 2013. Also, I should say, we are actually recording this on December 17th, 2013. So there's still some of 2013 left to go. And yeah, if the aliens land sometime between now and December uh, 27th or so when this show airs. Yeah, it will uh, not make the list. It won't make the list. And also it's because the aliens don't want us to talk about it. So uh, it turns out that uh, I, I drew the first part of the year, the first third of the year. So let's start off with January. And January uh, started off at like gangbusters in you know, the astronomy world, guys. I mean, like crazy amounts of astronomy going on. Like people were just constantly looking up and wondering what was out there and finding new stuff. Well, you know, in December you get a solstice and right. and that's that's fun for people who are obsessed with the sky and but by come January you're you're recovering from that. You're yeah. like, okay, what else is out there? What's yeah. going on? So, lots of different reports that all kind of are related uh came out in January. For example, Caltech researchers reported that based upon the information that we have gleaned from the Milky Way that uh they figured that for every star that's in the Milky Way, there's probably at least one planet. Not necessarily meaning that every star has a planet in orbit around it, but that that's the ratio that works out. Which means that we probably have between 100 and 400 billion exoplanets out there. In the Milky Way alone. In the Milky Way galaxy. Just in our galaxy. Uh, Harvard-Smithsonian Center for Astrophysics estimated that there are at least, quote, 17 billion, end quote, Earth-sized exoplanets in the Milky Way. Now, that does not necessarily mean that these planets are in what we call the Goldilocks zone. Though there was an interesting paper about that later this year. Yep. Uh, and some Kepler astronomers discovered an Earth-like exoplanet called KOI 172.02, which could uh, – it was similar to Earth. It was in that Goldilocks zone. And they say so far, as of January of this year, it was the most likely – candidate for a planet that could potentially support alien life. A lot of qualifiers there, because obviously right now we can't tell if, in fact, there is anything there. But it was one of those where they said, look, here's an example of a planet that could potentially be a planet that supports life as we understand it here on Earth. Big, exciting news. And all of that, of course, kind of related, which is why I grouped them together. Also in January... Did you guys see the story about scientists figuring out how to cool down gas to, quote, below absolute zero, end quote? What? I have not. I don't even understand what that means. I don't means. think that makes sense. Okay, yeah. First of all, uh, I, I sort of object to that particular type of reporting saying below absolute zero. Uh, absolute zero essentially means that you have a system where there is no energy there. Uh, you have no molecular movement. Yeah, it, it's essentially a universal constant the way that the speed of light. Yeah, it's like the it's like the coldest something can get if you think of cold as movement within a system. So this particular um, research study used lasers and some uh, evaporative cooling on atoms to create negative temperature. And in this case, what they mean by negative temperature is if you think of a classic system, all right, most of the atoms in a classic stable system are low energy atoms. Okay, if you add energy to that system, some of those atoms jump up to a higher energy level and they get a little chaotic, get a little crazy, start moving all over the place. So in a negative temperature system, it's the opposite. In your average system, most of the atoms are high energy. So the only atoms that are not really adhering to this are the few low energy atoms. So if you add energy into a negative temperature system, you then boost those few low energy atoms up into high energy and it becomes more stable. 
So it's the opposite of what we would think of with a classic system with positive temperature. And that's what they really mean by this negative temperature. It's that the physics themselves behave in a way opposite to what we would see in a classic system. So it's not that it's colder than absolute zero, that somehow you have negative movement. It's that the actual laws of how the system behave is inverted from the way it would be in a classic system with a lot of low energy atoms. So... I think in this case, there was a lot of confusing reporting going on where, uh, you know, some terms were getting used in a very casual manner that ended up confusing things. But generally speaking, I mean, it's an amazing news story. I just don't know that it was necessarily reported in the most um, uh, as, understandable as, as many way. deep <clears throat> science news stories happen to, yeah. Yeah, I mean, we can't all be forward thinking, right? I mean, we can't. <laughs> I, I'm, I just, that's, a, that's our slogan. I just hold us to a higher standard. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I am joking, people. So don't, don't get mad at me. Uh, another great story in January. So NEC and Corning paired up to create a multi-core fiber optic cable that was capable of transmitting one quadrillion bits of data, also known as a petabit, in one second. That's a huge amount wow. of information. Yeah, yeah one thousand terabits of information in one second over a cable. Uh, they said that. This has the potential of being able to maintain a speed like that over a cable that's as long as 50 kilometers. I believe we talked about this in our speed of communication video. Yeah, it's pretty phenomenal stuff, right? I mean, this is, this is where you're able, it's, it's, you know, we all know that really this is going at the speed of light essentially, more or less. But it's the amount of information that you're able to pass through. It's the throughput as opposed to the speed, right? That's what yeah. we, that was the point we made in that episode. And in fact, a lot of the, the things I'm talking about kind of relate to episodes we've talked about in the past, which I just thought was kind of cool to look back on this stuff. The way they did this was they created a triangular uh, structure inside the fiber optics that would allow you to have multi-phases of light pass through at the same time so that the different light would not interfere with one another so you could pass multiple pieces of information through the same core oh, wow. all, of the, you know, all at the same time. And of course, at, at light speed. So it's pretty phenomenal stuff. Uh, January was also when Deep Space Industries announced that they had plans for asteroid mining. Big did one. A, yeah. did a big episode on asteroid mining. Uh, they would launch the first spacecraft. The plan is to launch it in 2015. And that is not necessarily a mining spacecraft, but a survey spacecraft. Right. Um, the School of Medicine at the University of St. Andrews used the geometry of light to pull objects toward the source of light. Man, we should have done an episode about tractor beams. Oh, wait, we did. Yes, we did. Yeah, a lot of these uh, were kind of the inspiration for those early forward-thinking episodes. And uh, so you should definitely go back and check those out. And we've done – we did a full podcast about this too. We talked about tractor beams, both the science fiction version and the science fact version, which mm-hmm. is pretty cool. I believe that's the one where we consulted Wikipedia. Yes, yes. And I, I think, Lauren, I think you have something that you wanted to talk about in January, too, before I move on to February. Uh, yeah, I wanted to mention, uh, that was the month that uh, that Rice University researchers announced that they had created this, or, well, that they had used a wet spinning method of creating car- carbon nanotube thread that um, that can be used to both suspend and power a lamp. And, and I've talked about this before. I'm seriously infatuated with it. Um, um, the, the wet spinning method lets you dissolve clumps of carbon nanotubes and kind of squish them out into a thread, then wind it up and dry it out. And um, the, the resulting thread is macroscopic. It's like human hair sized. It can be hundreds of meters long. It has the conductivity of metal, the strength of carbon fiber. And yeah, you can you can watch a video of them both 
suspending and powering a lamp with it. And, and this is super cool because, you know, before creating carbon nanotubes was one of those processes where we couldn't do a lot of it and certainly not very long carbon nanotubes. Chains for, of them would be would still be microscopic. Yeah, or even smaller than microscopic. Yeah. yeah so this was an incredible development and, and has the potential to be truly transformative uh, in future applications. In many applications. Yeah. I mean, uh, yeah, we, we just did an episode about clothing. Like, like imagine entire pieces of cloth that are woven with- out of out of this kind of stuff yeah i mean that's it's hard to imagine to tell you the truth it would be amazing to see and this could potentially be the groundwork for that so moving on to uh february that's when the curiosity rover you remember that little guy he's adorable or it's adorable. I shouldn't anthropomorphize it uh the that's wheeling around on mars checking out for possible signs of Martian life, as well as just doing surveys, geological surveys. Really, it's a geological device, but, you know, it's looking for other stuff, too. Uh, it used a drill to get a deep rock sample. It was the first time we ever got a deep rock sample from a planet that was not Earth. So that's kind of cool. It uh, bore a 6.4 centimeter hole into a target rock and scooped out dust for analysis. Mm, and determined, Sweet, sweet dust. <laughs> well, it was able to determine the age of the rock, uh, Within a within a narrow range, that narrow range being between 3.86 and 4.56 billion years old. Sounds like it's about as old as the Earth. It's a give or take a billion years on that one. That's a pretty – well, anyway, it's kind of cool. Uh, also in February, the Large Hadron Collider shut down for maintenance, which was a planned shutdown, although – uh, not just maintenance but also to uh, to address some problems that were – kind of a faulty design issues so that they can fix that up. Once that all gets fixed up and it ends up coming back online, it's going to be a two-year hiatus. But once it comes back online, it will be operating at approximately twice as much power as oh, before. Wow. Cool. So we'll be able to have much higher power collisions. And as you collide these particles at higher and higher energy levels, you get to see more stuff. So, uh, you know, they already, uh, this, this kind of dips into March, but they already had announced that they felt fairly certain that the mysterious particle they had uh, detected with the Large Hadron Collider was, in fact, the Higgs boson, which is the particle that explains why matter has mass. So, you know, you can only... Maybe we'll start to learn more about dark energy and dark matter once it comes back online in two years. Um, now, as far as the scientists who work at CERN, don't worry about them. Their jobs are secure because they have terabytes and terabytes and terabytes of data to sift through while the LHC is offline. So they've sweet, got plenty of work. Sweet terabytes. Yes. <laughs> and uh, the last story I have for February is that uh, this is a this is my feel good feature because this is one of those things that I want is uh, Victor Mativici is a computer science grad student at the University of Illinois Chicago built a bodysuit that has haptic feedback system built into it and he calls it the Spider Sense suit. After our favorite uh, friendly, friendly neighborhood, neighborhood web slinger, yeah, yeah. Spider Man. So, um, so the Spidey Sense suit has haptic feedback built into it and can detect when you come close to an obstacle or something is coming close to you. And the way he tested it was mm-hmm. he took people who were wearing the suit, put blindfolds on them, and had people rush up to them and gave all the people with the uh, the bodysuit little cardboard ninja stars. And he said 95% of the time they were throwing the stars right at the people who were coming at them because the feedback would be located in the same – like giving you an idea of what direction the – the person or thing was coming from. And while this was kind of a, a funny way of showing off this technology, 
the plan is to use it for people who have visual impairment so that they can get around their environments better. And it actually uses ultrasound technology. It, it projects out ultrasound signals and has tiny little microphones embedded in the suit that pick up the reflection of the signals. So it's kind of like echolocation in a yeah. way. I, I was going to say this sounds a lot more to me like Daredevil than Spider-Man specifically. but the, Well, uh, the spidey sense of someone about to swing a... Uh, a fist at your head. And sure. Move out of the no, way, no, no, no. I get it. I get it. It's more in the comics and the uh, movies. But you, I was thinking you were going to say that the suit allows you to capture insects and liquefy them into precious fluids that you then derive nutrition from. No, not this one. I kind of want that suit. Yeah. Uh, that kind of relates back to our our discussion sweet, about bug burgers. Sweet fluids. But yeah, let's uh, let's move on, shall we? Okay, March. Um, yeah. So March. You know, I mentioned already the Higgs boson. Uh, that's when CERN <laughs> announced that the particle they had discovered. They were reasonably certain it was the Higgs boson. But March was also the month when there was a uh, a report about a re- another research project from Caltech. This time, one involving self healing circuits. Now. Uh, I, again, once again, I kind of object to the terminology here. Uh, it's super awesome work that was done. Uh, I don't necessarily think of it as self-healing unless you think of the circuit as just, you know, it heals in that it's still capable of doing what it's supposed to do even after it's suffered damage. Because it's not that it repairs the damage. What happens instead is that they built circuits that if you were to damage the circuits and they used a laser to do it, it could reroute whatever was going on so that the circuit could still fulfill its function even with that damage there. So it's not like it fixed the damage. It was just able mm-hmm. to work despite the damage. That's so cool. Either I really way. just thought of it as resilient. Yeah, I, I I don't have any specific bullet points on them, but later in the year there was a lot of interesting um, polymer research into uh, you know non-conducive materials, but materials that could in fact uh, given given a certain amount of of stress repair sure. that stress. Yeah, there was which is that, also cool, that so. nickel alloy that right. would repair micro tears if you were to prov- uh, to apply kinetic pressure yeah. to the alloy. Yeah, that was really cool stuff too. But anyway, uh, April. That's when the Massachusetts General Hospital scientists grew rat kidneys in a lab. <laughs> so what they what they did was they took some kidneys from deceased rats. They used detergent to strip away all the cells, the kidney cells. So what was left was the connective tissue, like the blood vessel tissue and everything else that was left, but everything else was stripped away. They then used uh, some a combination of human umbilical vein cells to line the blood cell connective tissue and uh, kidney cells collected from newborn rats to try and rebuild kidneys. And then they implanted those new rebuilt kidneys into living rats and it worked. Uh, now this is actually work that's been done for a while. It's not like this was just done now. The work was published this year, but it dates, the project itself dates back to 2008. Uh, couple downsides. The rebuilt kidneys do not work as well as your normal kidneys would. In fact, for okay. the rats, that works at about a third of the efficiency. But, you know, for, for dialysis, the, uh, the percentage of efficiency is somewhere around 15 to 20% before you get put on dialysis. So it's actually above the dialysis threshold. So it already meets that. Now, granted, this is for rats. It's not for humans. And the scientists were very quick to point out that the leap from rat to human is incredibly complex and that, oh, yeah that this approach would not be something that they could easily port over to humans. It's more of a, a you know, learning as we go. Uh, they said that in order for it to make a, a true working human kidney, they would need to learn more about steering stem cells so that they develop into very specific types of tissue. So that way you have a, a, a good uh, possible transplant organ. So we're still 
years away. In fact, uh, the scientist says he thinks we're decades away from seeing this being used as a way for human transplant, you know, to actually grow replacement organs. However, he says we're going to learn so much along the way about how these organs repair themselves that that alone will be really useful. And um, that's all I have. I'm ready for someone to pick up in May. I mean, I could mention the fact that IBM made this cute stop-motion animation by manipulating single atoms and taking pictures of the single atoms using an electron uh, telling microscope, and it was a boy and his atom, and it was adorable, but that's just my own favorite little story for me. Sounds like you did mention it. <laughs> I guess I did, Joe. So in May, a uh, pretty big breakthrough, uh, human stem cells created by cloning, right? That's huge. Yeah, so it was a paper presented called Human Embryonic Stem Cells Derived by Somatic Cell Nuclear Transfer, and that was by uh, Shukrat Mitalipov. I think I said that right, hopefully. Uh, but basically, he was working at the Oregon Health and Science University in Beaverton, Oregon, and his team was able to create embryonic stem, stem cells uh, specific to the patient through cloning. So that's oh, wow. yeah. big for therapeutic cloning in the future. Um, sure. Big research promise there. In June, they had the initiation of Google's Project Loon, right? Yeah, Google Loon was, uh, it still is a project that Google's looking into to provide Wi-Fi to hard-to-reach locations using these uh, balloons that carry the the transmitters, essentially, and they float in the stratosphere. And uh, you would use hundreds of these things to create Wi-Fi networks into areas that otherwise would never get this this kind of service. Uh, Lauren and I talked about this on an episode of Tech Stuff, and we were absolutely, I don't know if charmed, amused by the story of the, the alpha launch where oh, some, right, where basically Google Men in Black showed up at this nice uh, sheep farmer's house in New Zealand yeah. and said, uh, uh, we want to install this thing. We can't tell you what it does. Yeah, we just want to put this thing on your roof, but we can't tell you what it's for, what it does. We can't tell you who you're with or who we're with. Uh, will you let us do it? And they said, okay. All, all right. Look, look into this light. <laughs> yeah. So then they, they installed it and then uh, tested it out and everything was working. And then they told they they came back and they said, hey, you've got Wi-Fi. Yeah. And they're like, wow. And so they, te- they hooked up their computers to the Wi-Fi and it worked. Uh, so it's a... Uh, a project that is still being uh, uh, kind of unfolded. Uh, it's really interesting stuff, though. Uh, also in June, didn't we have a really big Supreme Court ruling? Yes, we did. Plays out on the the science turf. Yeah, in fact, this is one of those things that uh, that I know a lot of scientists and doctors were very eager to see happen because it, it settled a question about whether or not companies could patent human genes. I mean, genetic study is is hitting you know a, a furious pace right in research mm-hmm. facilities there's a lot of potential to treat various diseases or to diagnose diseases and there there's a lot of incentive for companies to develop ways of doing this cuz it's you know it's a complicated uh area that very few companies can get uh, a head start in but of course if you have that ability to get a head start then you want to protect that by patenting the heck of the stuff including human genes well there was a a supreme court hearing where some scientists and doctors challenged patents held by a company called Myriad Genetics. And specifically, the genes that they were interested in correlated to uh, risk of hereditary breast and ovarian cancer. And the scientists and doctors were saying, we want to be able to develop our tests so that we can test women for this and and screen them for it effectively. But if you hold, if this company holds the patents on it, we can't do that without first going through this company. So it's restricting people uh, and their ability to get quality health care. 
And so the Supreme Court sided with the scientists and doctors. It was a unanimous decision. They said that you cannot patent something that is occurring naturally. You you can't do that. So you can't discover something that no one was able, even if you were able to isolate that gene, you can't patent the gene because it occurs naturally. What you can do, they said, was if you create something synthetically, like you create synthetic DNA and you create genes this way, some sort of synthetic gene, that you can patent. So you can patent your dinosaurs, but not... If you're able to recreate dinosaurs through right. synthetic means, you which could. is what you would have to do, yeah, so, yeah, yes. because there's no surviving genetic yes. information that we could, so that we yes. know of. <laughs> well, you're not going to get it from a mosquito trapped in amber, so you're that's not. Already, that's already been disproven. Look, you don't, don't, don't tempt me to fly my car at you later today because I'll do it. Oh no. <laughs> anyway, so yes, that was a huge finding right there by the Supreme Court. So it's big news and great news for scientists and doctors. Yeah. This wasn't necessarily big news, but I thought this was quite amusing. Uh, so this is from a BBC report that was in July, and they reported on research that was presented at the UK National Astronomy Meeting of mm-hmm. 2013. Uh, and I just thought this was cute. Basically, they predicted that the last Earthlings to survive on this planet will be microbes. Big surprise. Yeah, but, that makes sense. Uh, they sort of laid out a model here. I thought this was interesting. So they were uh, researchers from the universities of St. Andrews, uh, Dundee, and Edinburgh. Uh, and they looked at what's the future of the planet Earth going to look like for life. They said, well, in about one billion years, things are going to get really nasty. Because of the increasing size and luminosity of the sun, basically, the oceans are going to boil, filling the atmosphere with water vapor, which will trap more heat and cause a runaway greenhouse effect. And that's what people used to think happened to the planet Venus. I'm not sure if that's still the prevailing theory for why Venus has such a hot, dense atmosphere today. Uh, I know that theory has been challenged, mm. but it might still be the main theory. I don't gotcha. know. Either way, um, it would suck for, say, us. Yeah, it's it's not good for life things. Presumably in a billion years, we have yeah. figured a few things out if uh, we haven't blown ourselves up. Right. Fingers so, crossed. Uh, in a billion years, basically, that'll kill all macroorganisms left on the planet. Uh, so, plant and animal life, bye-bye. But extremophile microbes might still be alive in subterranean water sources, and that's who they think will be the last ones hanging around. But they also said that all life on Earth will be kaput by 2.8 billion years from now. So we've got that long to get off this planet and colonize greener pastures. Right. All right. Good Um, Good to know our timeline. Yeah. Uh, Okay, so also in July, I thought this was beautiful. Solar Impulse completes the cross-country flight. Uh, Now, we've talked about that. In our uh, in our flight podcast about the future of aircraft right, design, right. the solar impo- impulse was an all solar aircraft. Yeah, literally all wow. solar. So, on the one hand, it took a while to get from California to JFK in New York. Uh, they left in May and they arrived in July. Wow! And of course, they stopped. It wasn't continuous it wasn't, flight. Right. <laughs> so right. They, no, they, they had they uh, had to watch Polly Shore's Biodome yeah. seventy eight times in a row. Oh, it's the only it'd be more than seventy eight. Oh, I don't know how many times. I'd be. I don't want to think about that. Um, <laughs> right. So they stopped a bunch of places along the way, but it is pretty amazing. I mean, I don't know if y'all realize how cool this is. This is a plane. 
powered entirely by solar panels. Now, but keeping that in mind, it had some pretty major uh, drawbacks, obviously. Oh, yeah. I mean, it went slower than well, your average car. Yeah, yeah. Spe- speed, and I'm sure that... Um, Carrying capacity was low. Right, yeah, right. The, the number one of... passenger. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. That was also the pilot. Yeah, right. you could have one person on board, in other words. Yeah. Um, okay, so uh, that's pretty cool. Also in July, Boston Dynamics, that is the robotics company that yep. created the big dog, that yep. big, horrible, scary thing that I think in the future will become a really cute thing. Yeah, it's a cute um, thing that can throw cinder blocks at yeah, you. Yeah, exactly. Um, so uh, they, they for DARPA, created Atlas, the humanoid robot, which is a Terminator. Um, <laughs> it's... Uh, it just is. So is it like so, the, would you call yeah. it like the T-400? Yeah, it's six feet tall, it's bipedal, and it looks scary as heck. <laughs> it, can, it can walk bipedally, it can go over rough landscape, it can manipulate objects with its hands, it can scan the environment with sensors, so it's got like scary, stereoscopic camera eyes, <laughs> uh, and it's got laser range finding. And it would be great in disaster scenarios. So imagine like a nuclear power plant melts down and you need somebody to go in there to a sort of human-shaped and sized environment uh, and do some things. It might be hard to get vehicles in there or sure, whatever. Sure. But this yeah. thing can go in there and do jobs that would probably kill people. Um, and, you know, track down human beings and carry them to safety instead of completely killing them. Yeah, yeah. Fingers crossed. Fingers crossed. Assuming that the person would not be terrified to death of this <laughs> lumbering monstrosity. Yeah. Well, you don't want to be the person that's the same size as the Atlas bot in the biker bar when it comes in right. looking for yeah. clothes. Certainly yeah. so, not. Never. So that you're actually the the camera eyes aren't that great. So what you do is you hunker down, and it can't tell that you're not actually the same size as it. So it's like oh. the the mythical eyes of the T Rex yeah. in Jurassic Park. <laughs> Gotcha. No, it might just think that you're like a fetal position sized human. Oh, gotcha. You know? That's fine. Uh, I, I often am. That's speculation on my part. Maybe the Atlas bot is smarter than we we all suspect. <laughs> okay. Um, much better at stealing your clothes. Excellent. Okay. Also in July, Curiosity rover has traveled one kilometer. Yay! Go Curiosity! Awesome. It's a little rover that could. Yeah. Actually, it's the enormous rover that could. But <laughs> Throw confetti. Um, in August, we got the unveiling of the in vitro meat hamburger served in London. Uh, no yes. jokes. Yeah, meat grown entirely in, in the lab. But cruelty-free. That's pretty cool. Yeah. And so in case you haven't listened to our podcast on this, we talked about it in the Future of Food episode, but um, the in vitro meat is real meat. It's not fake. This is 100% for real cow beef, but no cow had to die to make it. Um, no, well, I'm, actually, I think maybe this batch they did, but in theory... Like an original cow yeah, had to in, die. And I was about in to say, in theory, the no cow I has to die to make it. I don't it. think it was truly cruelty-free, because from what I understand... It was grown in veal stock, And one of those scientists I hear was really snooty. Uh, <laughs> so, so there was a little cruelty in the lab okay. right, right, on a right. regular basis. So it was really expensive. The uh, The lab-grown hamburger cost about $325,000. A little bit out but, of my price range most days. Yeah. yeah. But, you know, maybe someday you'll win the lottery and and feed yourself on sweet, sweet lab-grown flesh. Okay. I want to hit one more. Element 115 confirmed. Ununpentium. 
that's way up there on the periodic table. It's one of those big atoms that you do not find in nature. You have to create in the lab, synthesizing, that's smashing atoms. Because it, it, it basically dissolves into nothingness within... Yeah, it has a half-life of less than a second. It's yeah. mi- microseconds. Uh, it it uh, flies apart immediately. And so this is cool because it had been previously claimed to have been discovered, I think, in 2003 by scientists in Dubna, Russia. But uh, researchers this year just created it again. So they pretty much confirmed it. Yep. And that means it's going to get an actual permanent name. It won't always be called Ununpentium. It'll be called something else for all the ages. Unobtainium, maybe. <laughs> yeah, well, that's a funny point because also this element 115 has showed up in science fiction and in conspiracy theory literature. Uh, there was a guy who claimed that he once worked at Area 51 and he had worked on reverse engineering alien spacecraft. What he said was, well, they create their anti-gravity propulsion with the use of element 115 as a fuel. That's how they do it. Uh, yeah. We already knew that he wasn't telling the truth, but this is pretty much proof that he's not because it's a good confirmation, these atoms yeah. are not stable enough gotcha. um, to, to, to be burned before they, in any right. kind of technological mm-hmm. sense, unless there's some really unexpected isotope of it that, that we're not foreseeing right now. Sure. But uh, I still don't believe him. But uh, still pretty cool. Yeah. So 115, we're getting up there. And the cool thing is, as we keep climbing up the synthetic element ladder, there's also always the possibility that we're going to discover, as we've talked about before on here, sort of an island of stability, these super heavy elements that are much more stable than we expect. Right. Ones that don't almost immediately, you know, uh, end up deteriorating into something else. Yeah. And if we do discover elements like that, they might have unknown technological applications that could be really useful to us. Sure. Okay, so that wraps up August, right? Oh, yeah. So now we're moving into September. All right, September, we had some awesome news in AIDS research. Um, A vaccine that was developed at OHSU appears to have cleared SIV, which is the the simian version of HIV in monkeys, entirely. Um, And until now, infections have only been cleared in very select cases where people received antiviral treatment as as soon after contraction as possible or um, or during stem cell transplant. But... Mm. So this, I mean, this is major. Um, and, and basically what they did is they modified a common virus called um, hmm, cytomegalovirus. <laughs> yes, that is an actual thing, cytomegalovirus. Um, megalovirus. And they, they, they modified it to express certain proteins from SIV, and that prompted the, the T-cells in monkeys' bodies, uh, T-cells being, you know, a common part of, of the immune system, mm-hmm. to develop a really intense search-and-destroy mechanism for SIV. So... Uh, you know, huge application, not only in, in AIDS, I mean, because HIV is a really virulent virus. Um, it's, it's very powerful stuff that's really hard for the body to clean out, but it could be a huge step in curing not only AIDS, but many other terrible diseases. So awesome. Um, also in September, we got news that Voyager had officially left the solar system a year previously. Which time officially? <laughs> <laughs> Super officially. It, it, this is important 2013 news about 2012. Um, uh, you know, N- NASA said that Voyager had, in fact, been traveling through interstellar plasma for about a year. The tricky thing about all of this is that Voyager, you know, doesn't have an ionized gas sensor on it, so it needed another kind of indicator. And what they wound up using was um, they they tracked this burst of solar wind that had originated in March 2012, and uh, it it vibrated the plasma around the craft in April 2013. And scientists figured out from the pitch of the oscillations that the plasma was dense enough that this was, in fact, 
interstellar space. It's kind of funny because mm. the announcement came this year, but then it's one of those things where you're like, so guys, guess where Voyager's been for like a year? Yeah. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but that's the way science works, right? Because, you know, you have to check and double check and triple check and all this sort and of And wait stuff. for data to come back to you from right, a satellite right. that's so in interstellar space. Well, so yeah. I was just thinking about like when we're naming all of these discoveries. It's funny that I think in a lot of these cases, we're not actually saying when the discovery happened. Oh, we're not talking about when the information about it was published. Right. right. Which is an important step. Yeah. So, oh, yeah. sure, sure. And, yeah, and, I, and, and I do love that, that science is, I mean, just like with the Higgs boson where people for a long time were like, we think that this is totally a thing and it wasn't for months months years until they said yeah this is totally a thing we still think yeah yeah and they, yeah exactly <laughs> we're pretty sure yeah we're we're Science. really yeah. pretty sure but hey we are an interstellar species now we that's are something cool. that we yeah. made has left our solar system that's yeah. beautiful and terrifying not just my hopes and dreams oh Moving on. In better news, um, September was also when the Mars <laughs> rover found a whole lot of water in the soil. In continuing along with uh, with with Jonathan's news about mm. it digging up some some good soil samples, uh, about two percent of the surface of of Mars soil is water, which is you know potentially exciting for uh, lots of future applications of us getting over there and or, stuff like or that. even discovering discovering what, life. what might have been there before. Yeah. Uh-huh. Now again, you know the rover's a geological survey type device but it's always possible that uh that we'll have one that is more specifically suited to looking for signs of biological life sent later and it's always possible that the curiosity rover could uncover some other example of that through its you know operations as a geological survey machine but that's not its main purpose right there was some exciting in vitro pluripotent stem cell research. Um, mm. Previous research had dictated that cells could really only be reverted into a pluripotent stem cell state, um, you know, from which most any kind of cell can develop in addition the lab. But researchers at the Spanish National Cancer Research Institute in Madrid found that it's actually more efficient to carry this out in a living animal. And they may have even taken the cells into a more primitive totipotent state, which means that other tissues like like placenta could be developed from it. You know, this is incredible stuff because, you know, for the longest time, it looked like stem cells, like the stem cells we were going to be able to use for the most part would be, uh, would not be pluripotent stem cells even, right? Mm-hmm. Like they'd be stem cells that could develop into maybe one or two different tissues, but not any tissue. Whereas this has the potential to be truly revolutionary right. if, if we can, you know, replicate it and also use it in, uh, organisms other than say mice. Right, exactly. And, and even that it would be more efficient to do that in a living, living being than in a, in a, in a, in a, in a petri lab, dish, yeah. which then you have to get the, the stuff in the dish into a, thing and that's a whole other complicated process so this is really exciting for you know like regenerating tissue or limbs or stuff like that in the future potentially um uh quick note in october uh the nobel prize in physics went to francois englert and peter higgs for the mechanism that led to the higgs boson discovery oh i had something in october i wanted to talk about halloween yeah that is my favorite holiday but also there Technological was, discovery. There was a really cool paper published in the Proceedings of the National Academy of Sciences. The paper was called Prevalence of Earth-Sized Planets Orbiting Sun-Like Stars. And this was an update of predictions about the number of Earth-like planets, habitable planets in the Milky Way galaxy. Right. Uh, basically, the, a Kepler survey of 42,000 sun-like stars uh, found 
603 planets, and about 10 of them were Earth-sized and in the habitable zone. The Goldilocks zone. Yeah. So this is a quote from the – and that that means habitable for life, of course. Right, yes. Uh, As uh, opposed to habitable for du- For rocks. rocks. <laughs> for rocks and dust. You know. Rocks don't have it. <laughs> yeah, of course they do. Uh, just lie there. Uh, a quote from the abstract. Uh, this is direct. We find that 22% of sun-like stars – Harbor Earth-sized planets orbiting in their habitable zones. That's incredible. So that's more than one in five. Whoa. Wow. That's a lot. So if you've heard our podcast about the Drake equation, that's sort of like a ratio, a number you get for predicting the probability that there's life, technological life out there in our galaxy. That's one variable we're starting to lock down. Yeah. Uh, the number of planets out there that could have life, that, that number is fast closing on something tangible. Awesome. Um, one more thing I wanted to uh, announce, space news. NASA's MAVEN mission launched, uh, and that was the MAVEN stands for the Mars Atmosphere and Volatile Evolution Mission. Uh, that launched in November, and basically it's going to explore the upper atmosphere of Mars, uh, and the ionosphere and its interactions with the sun and solar wind, according to uh, NASA's mission project page. And basically what they're going to do there is they're going to study the, the Mars atmosphere, and one of the things they want to learn is where it went. Uh, I mean, this is a planet that lost its atmosphere over time. What happened to that atmosphere, and could the same thing happen to ours? I think it went on holiday. <laughs> All right. To Venus? I would, How does... Okay. Um, uh, December... Uh, I've got another interesting mice study. Um, we we had some research that indicated that bacteria can help reverse autism-like behavioral problems in mice. This was research. Um, okay, so, so there's a whole body of research that's been done in both mice and humans that has indicated that that autism and gastrointestinal disorders are linked. And um, but in this case, a team out of Caltech that gave mice a gut microbe that decreased both bad gastrointestinal symptoms and also social anxiety kind of symptoms, um, like obsessively repeating behaviors or squeaking differently than mm. other mice when they were greeting. Wow. Uh, stuff. And so, you know, this is, this is a really important, uh, kind of proof of concept of the connection between the human microbiome and brain function. And it could lead to some really awesome treatments in, um, psychotherapeutic fields. Right. Yeah. And of course, you know, we always have to state the, Again, the jump from rodent to human is not not a simple one. It's not necessarily something that's going to happen uh, quickly, but it is promising, which right. is that's that's the key. Uh, also, something that happened in December. So, at the beginning of the month, uh, China launched the Chang'e uh, three spacecraft, and it well, had a destination destination moon. It's a great, they might be giant song. And uh, so, the spacecraft went to the moon and uh, had the. Uh, had a soft landing. That means that it actually had a controlled descent and landed on the surface of the moon, as opposed to a hard landing, which is essentially crashing something into the surface, which lots of countries have tried to do. So this may made... actually more fun, <laughs> but but a lot less. Uh, it's it, it's a lot harder to do science after the hard <laughs> landing. China managed to be the third country to achieve this, behind uh, Russia and the United States. And so uh, the Chang'e spacecraft ended up opening up and releasing the Jade Rabbit rover. So oh. Chang'e is actually named after a Chinese moon goddess. And uh, the Chinese moon goddess has a companion named Yutu, which is a, a rabbit. So the 
rover is called a jade rabbit. So it's oh, okay. going after that that mythology. And um, so they've uh, they're now doing science on the moon. It's kind of become a, a lunar station of its own right uh, to study the um, the the regolith on the moon as well as some other elements. And it's kind of interesting that uh, we're we're still uh, sending probes up there to get more information. I personally find that really inspiring. Uh, it uh, keeps that in mind for scientists of the future. And you know, I still think that the moon is probably the uh, I think the a, best place to find moon men. I, definitely way up there in the top 10. Uh, other place, there's a bar down the street from where I live where <laughs> I tell you, you can't get rid of them. But uh, the no, the other thing about it is that <laughs> I think I think that a moon base is as at least as likely, if not more likely than a Martian base in the. Uh, next few yeah. decades, mm-hmm. right? So, all right. I think that wraps up our our review of 2013. Like we said, it's not a comprehensive review. There is so much more that happened this past year. I could talk about things that people have done to mice all day. Yeah, there's there was a lot of things were done to mice in 2013. And you know what? I expect that we'll do some more things to mice in 2014. But uh, it, it's really been a lot of fun to to monitor the science news throughout the year and to talk more about some of the exciting potential outcomes of this science, knowing that even with the potential outcomes we've talked about, that's just scratching the surface. Stuff comes up that you could have never anticipated. And that's what I truly find exciting about science. So we're really looking forward to 2014, doing a lot more episodes next year. And we wish you guys a happy new year. Remember, you can go to fwthinking.com. That's where we have all the podcasts, blog posts, articles, and other information you need to go check that out and you can always get in touch with us on the multiple social media platforms where we hang out all the time that includes twitter facebook and google plus our handle is fw thinking and we will talk to you again really soon for more on this topic and the future of technology visit forwardthinking.com Brought to you by Toyota. Let's go places. Open a limited-time 11-month certificate at Kemba Financial Credit Union. At 5.25% APY, it's more than triple the national average, plus it's a safe and secure way to grow your money. Visit your local branch or kemba.org slash cd for details. Offer expires May 31st, 2024. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. $500 minimum and $250,000 maximum deposit. Advantage status required. Comparison based on bank rate average. Federally insured by NCUA. Are you still searching for your perfect place to call home? Well, now is the time to buy at Fisher Homes. If you're looking to move in before the end of 2024, May could be your last opportunity to start building your dream home and close before the year's end. If you're hoping to move in even sooner, Fisher Homes also has homes that are move-in ready and waiting for you, where you can start enjoying the benefits of homeownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with a new home advisor today at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home. Hey guys, back at the playground again, huh? Yep. You know what this playground could use? A wine country. Heck yeah! And some waves, so we could go surfing. Oh, <laughs> ah, love that! A redwood forest would be cool. I'm in! Ah, ski slopes. Let's do it! Um, can a girl go shopping? Yeah, baby! Wait! Did we just invent California? Discover why California is the ultimate playground at visitcalifornia.com. 
There are choices that can change your life. Like the choice to start routine colorectal cancer screening at age 45. It's one of the most common cancers for women and men, and it doesn't always have symptoms. But there's good news. Routine screening can catch colorectal cancer early and even prevent it. And there's even better news. You have screening options. Make the choice to put your health first. Talk to your doctor about your screening options. Or visit cdc.gov slash screenforlife for more information. This is Malcolm Gladwell from Revisionist History. eBay Motors is here for the ride. With some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Brake kits, LED headlights, whatever you need, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. 